Hello, it's Harry Brook here, Ag Fieldman for Flagstaff County. And today we're talking to Karen Wickerson. She is the Rat and Pest Program Specialist, also known as the Rat Lady. You're listening to the official podcast of Flagstaff County. So, Karen. Since you are known as the Rat Lady, let's talk a little bit about the Rat Program in the province. What exactly is it? Well, thank you. First of all, thank you, Harry, for having me. It's it's a pleasure to be here. And as far as the Rat Program in the province, it's been running for 70 years. So it's called the Alberta Rat Control Program. And uh, what that means is we encourage people to report rat sightings to us so that mm -hmm. we can maintain our rat-free status. Is it really rat-free status or are we just pretending? Well, rats do get into the province, definitely. Yeah. And when they do, we prevent them from establishing permanently. Okay. So, so we, yeah, the rat-free status is something we give ourselves. That's a fairly unique status, isn't it? It is. It is. Very, very few areas or jurisdictions in the world can say this. Other than Isle, the occasional island, eh? That's correct, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty impressive. So how do we maintain our rat-free status? Well, we rely heavily on public reporting of it, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, we also have a rat control zone established along the Alberta-Saskatchewan border, which runs 520 kilometers. Okay. And that, that was established back in 1950, in the 50s, I should say, early 50s, when it was clear that rats were at the border and we did not want them to get further into the province and establish. Okay, and so how do they keep them out on that side of the province? So every premise along the border, all the way from Cold Lake down to the Montana border, is mm -hmm. inspected twice yearly. So originally it was the first three, three ranges, yeah. which is approximately you know, close to 30 kilometers westward from the border. And now it is every range within the first, or excuse me, every site within the first range is checked in the spring and fall for rat infestations. Okay. Yeah, I used to be a, a district agriculturalist in Lloyd Minster, and I knew a couple of the people that were our rat patrol people it's you know people like to make a joke about it but it's it was effective yeah they'd be out there in winter time what about rats i was just thinking when do they usually start moving around with uh, detectable yeah kind of in the spring they do when uh, it starts to warm up and certainly mm -hmm. people along the border as I'm sure you're aware, um, farm in Saskatchewan mm -hmm. and within Alberta. So there's movement of equipment going back and forth and also feed, especially in the fall. A lot yeah. of feed moved into Alberta. And so there is an opportunity there for rats to move in to the province that way. And certainly they have traveled overland as well, just depending if um, the environment is right for them to do that. Now, the province also has a 1-800-RAT line too, doesn't it? A phone line. So it was established, it's, it's 310 RATS, 310RATS, and that was established close to 10 years ago. And since then, we have changed it to an email. 
So the, the 310 RATS phone line, which you were able to access from anywhere in Alberta, has been discontinued as of last mm -hmm. year. And now we have this 310 RATS at gov.ab.ca email, where we mm -hmm. encourage people to send in a photo as well as their reported RATS sighting. And this has been great because it has increased our ability to respond to the, uh, the report if it is a rat much quicker. Yeah. Well, it's really essential to get the visual picture too, because there's a lot of times people confuse rats with other creatures, right? Definitely, yes. <laughs> the muskrat is one. <laughs> and there are times of the year where the, rat, the muskrats are quite active moving around the countryside and I remember at the Ag Info Center where, you know, you'd start getting a bunch of people phoning in about, well, we've got these rats. And in most cases, it was muskrats on the move. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we see it in kind of the late spring and also in the fall as well, where the muskrat sightings increase. Okay. And what other ways do the rats actually get into the province? Or how, I have heard cases where you get rat uh, starting up in the middle of Edmonton. Like, how do they get there? So they also do, we, we receive a lot of single reported rat sightings or confirmation, yeah. and they hitch rides on vehicles. So it can be on transport trucks or mm -hmm. recreation vehicles and just regular cars, trucks as well. Okay, I guess they get lonely. Yeah, they crawl. I don't know. They must crawl up into the vehicle because it's warm or something. I don't okay. know. Um, there's definitely been an increase of rats, roof rats, I should say, from BC that that um, hitch rides on vehicles. So quite, quite often people will, you know, drive back from a location in BC and mm -hmm. park their vehicle in their garage and come out the next morning and they find a dead rat in their garage, it's hopped off the vehicle looking for food and water because you can imagine riding in a vehicle for, you know, close to 12 hours, if they're coming all the way, say from Vancouver or the island, um, they're pretty pretty hot and dehydrated and uh, hungry. And so they hop off the vehicle in search of food. And of course, usually don't find anything and perish. Okay, so what's the difference between a roof, a roof rat and a Norway rat, which is the one that we're keeping out? Yeah, um, so the Norway rat is a bigger rat mm -hmm. in that the body itself is bigger and the tail is not quite as long as the body. It's, it's a bit shorter and it has smaller ears and it's kind of like a light brown color usually with some white underneath and that mm -hmm. those are the rats that come, they move westward from, they, they they moved across the prairies so and they can survive very well on the prairies if they have a food and shelter and then the roof rat uh, hangs out thrives better in kind of seaports hence called roof rat it goes up high and um, can climb really well mm -hmm. and so the distinguishing features of that as compared to the norway rat are the tail is longer than the body and it is black more dark brown black gray in color mm -hmm. and uh, something else is, inter is interesting about it is the ears are quite big in that um, you can pull them forward and they will cover the eye so mm. that really helps when confirming the identity sometimes we have some big mice that are found and um, if we're confused at all that that really helps us to identify them so how destructive are roof, are roof rats compared to the norway rat 
just as destructive as well. Um, okay. the, the, the ability to chew their, their teeth grow, you know, they're continually growing. And I recently read a statistic that they spend 2% of their day chewing. So 2% of their day is spent chewing because they need to keep <laughs> dulling those teeth or, or you know, um, keep them from overgrowing sort of like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but definitely an invasive species as well. And just as destructive. Does the uh, rat program also cover roof rats? It does. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay. They are both listed in the agricultural pest set under pests. So the Norway rat is mentioned and any other ratus ratus uh, from that genus. So under the act, does that pre prevent anybody having like a pet rat? That is correct. It is illegal in Alberta to own a pet rat as well. So even using them for food sources for snakes and stuff. They are they are allowed to be used if they're dead. So they can come into the province dead. Okay. Um, a lot of a lot of pet food supply stores do that. Um, they they do purchase dead rats, keep them in the freezer, and people come in and feed their snakes and the reptiles <laughs> them. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, sounds absolutely delicious. Yes. <laughs> I guess if you're a snake. Um, so, uh, do we have actually people that are full-time inspectors? So how it works is uh, the Agricultural Pest Act and the people who established this way back in 1950, in the early 50s, they made a lot of amendments to it, were very forward thinking. And it was written into the act that every municipality has to have a designated pest control officer. Right. So that when uh, I receive a reported rat sighting and I feel that there's enough information and it sounds like it, it could possibly be a rat, I can contact that municipality and ask for the pest control officer and uh, they will go out and investigate for me. Yes, yeah, I remember at one time there were full-time employees of the counties, like County of Vermilion River, MD of Provost, that they would have, they would have someone that would be out there inspecting those first three townships. And, and we still do. So the uh, six municipalities that look after the rat control zone, mm -hmm. they, we do pay for the pest control officer there to go out and do the inspections in the spring and fall. Okay. And we do provide them with rat bait as well. So, okay. And that's, that's been ongoing for many, many years. Now, I'm old enough to remember back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been a few years, but uh, back in Lloydminster, there was one case where they found at the Lloydminster dump, which was on the Saskatchewan side, there was a, uh, a rat infestation at the dump. And basically it was, a uh, they went out there and they had a little shooting party. That's poisoning <laughs> and shooting. <laughs> Does that happen anymore? <laughs> um, it's not gov government authorized, let's just say, but okay. I know it has occurred. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's ways to even, if you notice there's an infestation that's either close to the border or just inside the border, there are, there's the people and resources available to take care of that problem and eliminate them. Definitely. Yeah. Excellent. Mm -hmm. It's, I was just thinking how it's, you know, if you have a compost heap here, you don't worry about it. You know, all you're going to get in there at worst is maybe mice as opposed to rats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're um, a compost heap or a garbage dump are, is yeah. the perfect place for them to 
established. They've got shelter and food. Food, lots of food. Mm, yeah. People should stop wasting so much, but that's another story. Um, well, let's change gears here for a, a second and let's talk about the, the coyotes. Because mm, mm -hmm. they're kind of, they're under the Wildlife Act, but they're also under the, they're a nuisance under the Pest Act. That's correct. Yeah. So the difference between, say, rats and coyotes is that rats must be controlled because mm -hmm. they're labeled a pest. So right. the owner of a property or land is responsible for controlling them, eradicating them, whereas a coyote, as it's labeled a nuisance, the owner of property of land can choose to control them. And they can give permission for people to come on their land, such as ag fieldmen or you know, um, people who want to shoot them, they can do that. Okay, and what kind of uh, control measures can be used on coyotes if they're a problem? Uh, so you can control them certainly by shooting, as I mentioned. Yeah. Also, you can snare them, uh, and you do have to, of course, have the proper permit for that. Right. And also you can, if the situations are right, you have the proper management practices in place, you can access compound 1080, sodium monofluoroacetate uh, through your municipality, through your agricultural fieldmen to control mm -hmm. them. And it is at their discretion. I provide training uh, as to what circumstances you can dispense this product in. So right. they would come out and assess the situation um, and decide whether you are eligible for that. So that would be a form seven? That's correct, yeah. So I, what it's called, it's in, in the Ag Pest, um, the Pest and Nuisance Control Regulations, which of course support the Agricultural Pests Act. And the form seven after the agricultural field and receive training is the permit they receive, which gives them permission to dispense the permit. Dispense it, right. And then, so it is called a form eight that the agricultural fieldman fills out and has the owner or producer sign for the compound 1080. Right. And the, the thing about coyotes too is if you have a coyote problem, often it can be attributed somewhat to a, I hate to say it, but a management issue where, you know, perhaps someone with, with calves has been dumping in the back 40. So they've got a food source, the coats start becoming acclimatized to eating that particular food. And then they might get a little bold in a really cold year and start attacking newborn calves. And I've had guys tell me stories of uh, a newborn calf just coming out of the mother and, and the coyote takes the tongue, which is really gross. <clears throat> but I mean, it's just that that's how that the problem can be. That is, yeah. And certainly there are things, again, management practices you can do to help uh, prevent coyotes right. from coming onto your property, such as cleaning up your dead stock, disposing of it properly. And then certainly during calving season, you know, all the afterbirth, that sort of thing. Yeah. Get that cleaned up right away. A dog definitely is the first management practice, especially a sheep producer, should have in place. They are a great deterrent. Yeah, they're, they're, what's that? I was just thinking, oh, must be about 30 years ago or so. They had a bumper sticker, which was, eat Alberta lamb, 10,000 coyotes can't be wrong. 
That is great. I have never heard that or come across that. Oh, that was, it's, it's an old bumper sticker, but it was a great one to promote uh, consumption of Alberta lamb. Definitely. And, you know, I came across um, some old um, literature on our coyote control program. And yeah. at one time, the Alberta government did provide dogs. You, you could, um, if you're a lamb producer, I, I forget if it was for cattle as well, but you could, yeah, apply and they would provide you with a guard dog, which oh, wow. I thought was really incredible. Yeah. So what are some of the... Uh management things a producer can do to prevent coyote depredation? So like I mentioned, the first thing we always say in the presentation is a guard dog. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely, you know, and depending on the size of your flock or your herd, two mm -hmm. or more may be warranted. Um, so that's a good option. And in that category as well, depending on your situation, uh, donkeys, you know, llamas, there are a variety of animals that are very easy to keep that yeah. you can use uh, for coyote deterrent. Uh, again, cleaning up the dead stock. The thing with coyotes is predation is a learned process. So right. the adults teach the pups it. So if an adult doesn't know that, um, you know, there's a source of food on your farm because, you know, there are deterrents in place to keep them from coming up to your herd or flock, then you know, they don't teach the, <laughs> the young that. So yeah. it's something to keep in mind, definitely. You know, even things like um, shooting at them to make them feel unwelcome too, even though you know you're not gonna hit them, um, mm -hmm. but you can shoot at them to scare them away from your property if you do see them. Things like uh, bringing your flock of uh, lambs in at night, like perhaps if it's a young flock early mm -hmm. in the season, don't leave them out on pasture, bring them in at night, you know, that right. helps provide pr protection, you know, and have your dog in place. So there's a multiple variety of things. We do good fencing, good fencing as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was going to mention, we have our coyote control manual. I just updated it this fall. Oh yeah. And it is available on our open Alberta website. So if you go on the open.alberta.ca, I think it is, mm -hmm. um, and Google the coyote control manual, we go in, in depth into all the um, management practices that you can use to help, you know, help prevent coyotes from, from learning that uh, there's a buffet. Well, yeah, four-legged <laughs> buffet, and they're really quite easy. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I was wondering, does the, uh, under, do we still have access? At one time, there was sort of... Uh, kind of bike collars that you could put on sheep if you had a real problem. Yeah, and, and the registration for that product has been discontinued as of okay. this year. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it was compound 1080 as well. So we right. fluoracetate, yeah, yeah. So the only toxicant that we have registered still for use is compound 1080. 1080. Yeah. And how is it applied so that they, would you just put it in a carcass and put some pellets in a carcass and have them eat it or? Uh, so yeah, um, it's a, a maximum of six tablets that is dispensed. It's at mm -hmm. the discretion of the agricultural fieldman. Right. Um, and a really good way, carcass certainly can be used if it was a fresh kill by a coyote. 
Yeah. Um, but chicken heads are a really good way. I know quite a few different municipalities collect them. They store them up <laughs> and, and give them out to producers when they dispense compound 1080. So you can easily slide one tablet into the chicken head mm -hmm. and then, you know, bury it under snow or in the ground and the coyote will come along and, you know, detect it, smell it, and then dig it out and eat the chicken head. Now, the, the problem with 1080, too, is that it's fairly non-selective for canines, right? Well, it's, yeah, it, it like it's... Um, you have to be careful where you use it, because you can also right. get your, your neighbor's dog. That's correct, yeah. Dogs need to be locked up, and you are required to post warning signs, and it always is the neighborly thing to do to call your neighbor and let them know that you're using the toxicant, and they should keep their dog. Right. Yeah, locked up. Yeah. Use it properly. It's not mm -hmm. a problem. Yeah, yeah. There's and, always and, risk. Yeah, certainly. And the agricultural fieldmen have to provide um, the SDS. So, you know, um, the toxicity, the information about the toxicity of the product. Right. And then our use limitations, which are regulated by Health Canada, the Pest Management Association, regulatory association, I should say. And um, they, they provide us a list of, they call them use limitations on how we are legally allowed to use the product. Okay. Is there anything I might've, well, probably did miss about uh, our coyotes and our rats that we maybe should cover? No, I don't, no, I, uh, I think like as far as rats, I've been in this position now for two years and what I've, what I've come to discover is it, it's kind of interesting that, you know, Albertans, if, especially if you were born here and grew up here, a lot of people just know we, we don't have rats. Yeah. They don't understand that we, they don't realize we have a program. So it's funny when I talk to people, they say, but we don't have rats. And I said, I know we have a program. <laughs> and I well, see, it. it's, it's sort of magic, right? It just, it just happens. They don't exactly. Yeah. yeah, we have we have a wall up all along. Invisible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what I've discovered as well is that because Albertans have never seen a rat, so they can't properly identify one. That right. hence why we receive 50% of our reported rat sightings in a year are muskrats as well. So how many reportings would you get in a year? Uh, the past two years, and I'm just, we're going to be closing up this year, almost 500. Hundred. Okay, so, through, and the, the majority are those through the email. People can still phone three ten farm, mm -hmm. and they can uh, for people who can't who don't have access to the internet can yeah. report that way as well. But uh, you know, ninety five percent of our reported rat sightings are through the email now. Okay, well, keep up the good work is all I can say. <laughs> I like the fact that we don't have rats. Yeah, um, and when I talk to a lot of people who. Um, you know, have moved to Alberta and come from, you know, other parts of Canada or parts of the world where they have them, they, mm -hmm. uh, they are always thrilled to know that we don't have rats. <laughs> well, I find too, that if you ever go anywhere else, you have to see a rat, which, you know, there, there's lots around. It's kind of a shock. You suddenly realize, oh, don't see those at home. Well, yep. thank you very much, Karen. I've really enjoyed this, this talk with you and Keep up the good work is all I can say. Well, thank you, Harry. You as well. Thank you.